pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to forget, to shake up the dust of the past and to walk in the newness of the abundance of the blessing that you are bringing our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your seat. As I said, that's where uh, the theme for today is taken. I mean, the, this, the, 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 the topic for today is taken from this verse, and I've called it, See This One, The Shake Off the Dust of the Past. I think, and I could be right, that the biggest hindrance that we have in life to succeed, sometimes it's not the devil. I know the devil is the worst enemy there can be. There will never be a greater enemy. But sometimes it may not be the devil. <laughs> sometimes it's none of the things that we think. I think the greatest hindrance to our going forward is our past. Do you agree with me? Maybe you may, or at least at the end of the service, you agree with me. Allow me to give you a story <coughs> as I begin my sharing. <coughs> History has it, a, name, a man by the name Lord Maurice Egerton of the Tarton family. Maybe you've heard me give this story before. You can hear it for the third or the fourth time. He was born, uh, I think he must have been born in 1870 or 1870-something. But his friend, Rondramea, invited him to Kenya uh, to see what he could do with his life. Rodigaton came to Kenya, settled in Joro, bought huge land, about 21,000 acres. Did he buy or he allocated himself? I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's what they used to do in those days, our good benefactors, our colonizers. But he had this huge land. And then he put up a, a six-bedroom house in this place when he came somewhere in 1938 when he came to Kenya he put up a six <coughs> bedroom house and then he was from the royal family and so as their culture dictates he had to marry from the royal family and so his girlfriend or fiance whatever came from UK to visit him and this girl looked at the six-bedroom mansion for once, and she turned and they went back to their port, took the plane, and going away. But as she went away, she said, I cannot live in a chicken coop. You know what a chicken coop? by a cuckoo. She said she can't. She can't live the chicken coop. Of course, Rodigaton was just hurt and surprised. But then he decided 
to start building a mansion that befits his girlfriend. His story has it that he employed a hundred couriers from India, you know, workers. He hired an architect, I don't know, from Italy. Then he imported stones from another country and marble from another country, and he began to build a 52 um, mansion, a, a rooms a mansion. And he began to build this huge, huge, huge house. And he built it for the longest. I think there was interference with the Second World War. But eventually, uh, after many years, after 10 years, <coughs> he was able to build the house. But then Gao never came back. Instead, she went to Australia and got another loyal family, young man, and got married. Spurned by his lover, Rodigaton was so hurt that he said, he told his workers, never, ever, should their wives come near him. They were to leave their wives eight kilometers away before, you know, they, they couldn't come closer. If you have a wife, you leave her eight kilometers away and come and work in his house. Then he said, never should chicken be found in his compound. And, and the house was built in a six-acre six acre, um, land. No chicken should be found within that perimeter because this girl called his house a chicken coop. <clears throat> and he never ate eggs <laughs> for the rest of his life. Eventually, he finished building his mansion in 1954. And then for the next four years, he was living in this huge house alone. He ate his food alone. He played his piano alone. And in 1958, he died <coughs> four years later. And as he died, he brought the hand of the memory of his family, I mean, to the hand. He had only one brother who had died early alone without a child. The parents had died, and he too died, having never married, and the Tarton family came to an end. What happened to Lord Egerton? What happened? He was hurt by the lover. But he never forgave. He never came out of his heart. He never recovered from his heart. And that's how his life ended. That's what the past can do. Do you want to tell me there were no other girls on earth to marry? I'm sure there were. Should just as I've gone among the, the neighbors, the all the neighbors, the Karajin and the Kiku neighbors there, and gotten several of them if he wanted. But that was the end of this man's life, so sad. Unfortunately, we too, many times, we have let our past hold us back and refuse us to move forward. And today, I want you to determine by God's grace, and by the end of this sermon, that you are going to shake off the dust of the past.
Can we repeat that? <coughs> A little background of the story that we have read. Isaiah, our king, uh, prophet Isaiah, prophesied for a long, long period spanning about 60 years. For 60 years, he was a prophet. He prophesied, you remember from the year King Uzziah died, through the reign of King Uzziah, he had actually been prophesying in the reign of Uzziah. Then he has, then Ezekiel, even that other king called Manasseh. The name Isaiah means the savior. That's the meaning. Isaiah was a contemporary of Prophet Hosea, Prophet Micah, because actually when you look at their messages in these two other prophets, they are similar to the message, to some of the messages in the book of Isaiah. His fame actually emerged from his accurate prophecies on the exile. He prophet, way before the exile took place, he prophesied so accurately how the exile would happen. He prophesied accurately how King Cyrus would release the captives. He prophesied so accurately where, how the Messiah would be born. Actually, Prophet Isaiah is called the greatest prophet uh, of the whole testament. And in verse <coughs> 25, I mean verse 18 to 25 of chapter 42, Isaiah uh, castigates the Israelites for their blindness. He tells them, you are blind. And because of your blindness and your disobedience, you are being taken to exile. And in this way, he diagonizes what has happened to them. You know, it is easy for them to say, oh, we are in exile because our soldiers were not strong enough to defend us and to fight against the Babylonians who have defeated us. But Isaiah tells them accurately, it is not because your soldiers were weak, it is not because the Babylonians were strong, you are in exile because you are blind, you are blind to my covenant, you have disobeyed me, you have sinned me, and I have given you over to your captors, and that's why you are in exile. This was the diagnosis. Israel was to bring, not God, not the Babylonians. God had only used the Babylonians to punish them. And this brings me to my first point. That for us to be able to move to the next level, we must accurately diagonize what has brought us to where we are. Can I repeat that? We must diagonize accurately what has brought you, brought me to where I am. Before we can do that, 
would not be able to move. Would not be able to move. And I had this brother who was praying, Oh Lord, <coughs> keep, destroy all the cobwebs. Please, Lord, destroy all the cobwebs. Destroy all the cobwebs. You know, he was praying the way we pray. We Pentecostals, walking, 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 walking. And somebody wonders, you know, you're closing your eyes and you're walking so fast. We don't close our eyes, please. Eh? Okay. And go destroy the cobwebs. Destroy the cobwebs. Then somebody tapped him and said, tell the Lord to kill the, spin, the spider. That's a better prayer. If you kill the spider, there will be no cobwebs. We must find out. We must go beyond the cobwebs and kill the spider. We must diagonize accurately what has brought us to where we are. When things happen to us, the human tendency in us is to blame everyone else but self. We blame God. We blame the primary school teacher. You, you can't imagine Oh, a while you are blaming, blaming the primary school teacher whom you left 20, 30 years ago. But you still blame him or blame her. We blame our parents, actually. And as <coughs> our former senior pastor and great pastor White would say, we live to, to lias, to nurse, and, the, and curse the past. You are always either liasing, you know, you keep on liasing, chewing it, the past. You bring it to mind. And you're just chewing it, liasing it, or even cursing it. The transition I see from the previous chapter, chapter 42, to the chapter 43 is one word. <coughs> At the beginning of chapter 43, the word is but. But. Did you see it in chapter 43, verse 1? It begins with but. See, the Lord is blaming them. He tells them, you've been in captivity in chapter 42 because of your sins. You're blind. My servant, Israel, is bright, is blind. And that's why you're in captivity. And then he introduces, but there's a post. It's a change of language and a change of events. It's a transition. It says, but, and the rest of that chapter, chapter 43, begins a series of messages of hope. It gives them hope. And the climax of that, that hope is actually what is our theme. That is, Destined for the next level. He tells them there's a hope. The transition says, <coughs> this is what has been, but now this is what I am going to do. And we must all come to that, but. Our lives must come to that, but. We, as we diagonize our lives uh, accurately, as we take introspection, we look at our lives, 
um, introspectively and as we diagonize, what is it that has brought us here? Yes, I failed in school. I didn't go to that university that I wanted to go. That's why I'm poor. But your neighbor went, never went even to class three and they, they are making it, you know. And, and on and on and on. And then we must come to this point and say, but I bring it to an end now and I move forward differently. I cannot keep on blaming the past for the rest of my life. I can't keep on nursing and cursing and rehearsing it. I got to move. That is the message of today. We must move. There must be a transition. We cannot be fixated forever on this one spot. We must actually move. I talked to the WM ladies yesterday when I met them in their meeting, and I told them of my neighbor. My neighbor, who, when I was born, my neighbor I was always complaining. And I learned from my mother that his son, who was older than us, at one time he burnt the house um, by mistake. But for the rest of my life, as a growing child, this lady, you know, always remembered how life was better before the sun uh, um, burnt down the house. It sand. But even then, we got to pick our broken pieces. We must not sit on the ash heap forever. We got to move. We got to let our lives move. Praise the name of Jesus. And my second point, therefore, and I have only two, we must purpose to forget the past so that we can change the future. Can I repeat? We must purpose to forget the past so that we can change the future. After we have correctly diagonized our past, then we must actually be now willing and the purpose to forget what is in the past so that we can have the chance to change the future. It is Paul who said, forgetting the past and pressing on to the mark of the high calling. You know, he had, he had done great atrocities to the church. He had dragged the Christians to prison. He, 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 he was the one who was approving the death of Stephen. But when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, his life changed drastically. And he could now say, I must forget the past. I must press on to the future. We too must forget the past. As I said, the greatest hindrance to God's blessings to our lives is perhaps not the devil of poverty or lack, but the experiences of the past. But you know, we must purpose to break. Nature tells us that we must really break through the past and the experiences and the challenges of the past. And as I look at nature, I see several examples. For example, look at the butterfly. If you remember the biology that we learned in school, 
Uh, it goes through how many stages? Did they say four? Which was the first one? Egg, yeah. Second one? Lava. Number two? Number three? Pupa. And then the rest is beautiful, beautiful butterfly. Can you see the last stage of the butterfly? Comes from the pupa. Have you seen a pupa? It's a cocoon. It's a cocoon. It's a shell. And for the butterfly to become a butterfly, it must break through that shell of that cocoon and actually come out. And I take it that those cocoons could represent our past. Praise the name of Jesus. We keep a few chickens sometimes. And when the the egg, the, the, the hen lays on the eggs for 21 days, somewhere, I don't know, I, that biology, I don't know whether the chicks begin, they grow within, inside the egg. I don't know whether they begin to hear the voice of the mother when they are there. I don't know. But eventually, they break through that shell and come out. It's a choice. They can choose to remain within the egg. It is warm there. It must be very warm and nice. I'm sure if you tell a baby to come out of the mother's womb, they will say, no, it's warm here. Food is always here. But the problem is that you remain there. You will not grow. You cannot grow in the womb. You got to get out, break through, and then come out and experience life and freedom. In the same way, we must purpose to break the cocoon of the past so that we can see the future. We must purpose to make the past, whether good or bad, we must make it a stepping stone to the future. Whereas we have no control of our past, we can fully determine the future. We have a measure, indeed a great measure, of control of the future. We may not really have any control of the past. None of us applies to be born in the families we are born. None of us applies to be, to be the height we are or the, sick, the skin complexion. We can't. We cannot. But then when we find our hair is short and kinky, we can choose to put all those things that we put on it and it can grow a bit, isn't it? Yes. The past, at best, offers lessons for the future, but it must never be the entrance to the future. As we talk about the future, I do not want to minimize the pain that life can bring our way. It might be a, few, a, a past of sexual abuse, rape, sodomy, even incest. It might be a past of divorce. It might be a past of actually a forced marriage. Uh, it might be the past of the university that you did not go to. It might be the past that the, of the grade that you did not see. 
achieved rather, sorry, or the business opportunity that you lost, or unjotted lava like uh, Lord Egerton, or the boast that arbitrary sacked you, all this notwithstanding, we must determine that with the grace of God, we will make a proud future. Amen? Amen? The scars of the past may never be erased, but they must never, they must remain as scars and not wounds. Can I repeat that? The scars of the past may never be erased, but they must remain as scars and not wounds. How many of you uh, remembers, uh, when did you last re remember the scar that you have somewhere here because of the, was it the BCF or what was that? Yeah? BCG. 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 Hey, it's too, it's too cold today. Most of you are covered with almost close to a blanket. But if it was a bit warmer, you would see from your friends, they have that scar. You have it? You have it. When did you last three fail to go to work because of that scar? <laughs> you see, today, this scar, man, is disturbing me. I'm not going to work. Or even take it to the hospital. Huh? We don't do that. But we also cannot remove it. It is there. It reminds us. And actually, it is good. When you go to the hospital, uh, when children are taken, you know, for these vaccinations and those inoculations, they quick, the nurses will quickly go there and check that it is there. It's important for it to be there as a mark that you got that job, which is important. But that's the end. It is a scar. It can't stop your future. And I want you to turn to somebody and say, my past are just scars. They are not hoods. I will never let them be hoods. They are only scars. Praise the name of Jesus. What scars, my brothers and my sister, do you have in life? What scars has life brought to you. I see it. We must acknowledge them. We must know what has brought us to this far. We must diagnose accurately what has brought us to this far. We cannot afford to deny, you know, we didn't make mistakes and the mistakes were not done to us. We can't afford to deny. We must accurately say this is where the rains began to beat us. But then after that, then secondly, and most importantly, we must determine that those cars will not be hoods. They will not hinder our future. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. And as we get a song from our worship team, I want us to do the two things. I want us to, each of us, and none can do that for any of us, we want to take an inventory of the past and say, Lord, 
this is my debilitating past. This is my hurting past. This is my injurious past. It is this, it's this, it's this. But today, I choose to transit with that but. I choose to change the course of my life. I refuse the past to either my future. Take moments. These are moments before the Lord. They can make our difference in our lives.